So you know how when you, uh, you buy a house, that sometimes there's, there's stuff that comes with the house, right? Uh, sometimes that's an awesome thing. Sometimes that's not a really awesome thing. Um, me and my wife, when we bought our house a number of years ago, uh, there was something that came with the house, but it was kind of an awesome thing. It was an extra fridge that was in the garage. And yeah, I'm all about the extra fridge. And I honestly, I don't know if this is true. I think this is true. Um, I think as a, as, as a, as a son of, of immigrants, I think this is especially true of us. I don't know what it is, but like, like Western culture, like you guys think you like having an extra fridge, but meet some foreigners, okay? Then you'll really, like if you walked into my parents' garage, you'll see three, two full-size fridges and a deep freezer, okay? You walk through your garage and you might mistake it for the refrigerator aisle at Home Depot, okay? Like it's, that's what I grew up with. And they're stocked full of stuff, okay? Stuff that one day we'll be glad was deep frozen. Um, and so I just grew up with like, yeah, you do the extra fridge. Like that's just, just what you do. So when we bought our house, extra fridge in there, you know, Joe's like, do we need this? I'm like, uh, do we need, are you kidding me? Like, do, what, what more would we need? I mean, like, we, yes, we need this. We should have covered this in premarital. We need this, okay? <clears throat> so it's like, cool. So we, we cut the extra fridge, but then we quickly realized, and I quickly realized, okay, one day we'll need this. We didn't have a kid at that point. It's like, we can't even fill our own fridge. This is just taking up space. There's no need. So we decided we're going to sell it on Facebook Marketplace. So I unplugged it. So we're not, you know, plugging, pulling the electricity, put it aside. And a couple weeks go by, we finally sell it on Facebook Marketplace. And so, um, you know, we kind of get the message, hey, guys, come on, he'll be here in 30 minutes. I'm like, cool. I go out there because I'm going I'm, I'm to help him load it because I'm a pastor. And so <clears throat> I kind of just want to make sure there's nothing, anything in there. You know, you're picking it up, make sure all the shelves are in there. <clears throat> it's been unplugged for two weeks. I go and I open the freezer. I have never seen that much black mold in my life. Our freezer turned into a Dalmatian. It was... It was so, I swear the mold was moving. It was one of the grossest things I've ever seen. I shut it and I yelled for Julie just out of reaction. So she can help me. She's like, good luck with that, right? And so I, like, I hazmat suited up. I put the gloves on and I just was bleached, just dousing it with, I didn't know, I had 30 minutes before this guy shows up. You know what I'm saying? And so clean, I mean, it was, I, one of my biggest regrets is not taking a picture of it. I was so taken aback. It was absolutely disgusting. <clears throat> Here's one, you know this. Unhealthy things grow in the dark. It's true of my freezer. It's true of maybe some of your freezers as well. Unhealthy things grow in the dark. But this is truer for us than maybe you would have ever realized. When you and I choose to hide in the dark, unhealthy things grow in us as well. And the human default is this. When we feel like there's something to hide, our default is to hide. The human default is when there is something to hide, we hide in the dark. And by hiding in the dark, here's what I mean. That there might be a struggle that you know about that nobody else knows about. That by hiding in the dark, I mean that there might be a secret There might be some bitterness. There might be some unforgiveness. There might be some jealousy. There might be some pride. There may be some habits. There might be an addiction that you know about and nobody else knows about. Or nobody knows the full story of. Or nobody knows the full extent of. And so today as we continue our series, I want to talk about how you and I can courageously live in the light rather 
and hide in the dark. We kicked off a brand new series last week called Do It Scared. And I've I've loved this series. I love this idea because we're talking about what it looks like to take courageous steps in our life, courageous steps in our faith. And, And we said this last week, and it's really important. This series is not about eliminating fear. Right? Um, if, if there's something that, that you want to do, something you feel like you need to do, something you would even say I am called to do or something that following Jesus requires you to do and fear is holding you back, if you wait until the fear is eliminated, we'll never take the step. This fear isn't about eliminating fear. This series is about overcoming fear because that's what courage is. Courage, courage is not the absence of fear. By definition, courage is moving forward even in the face of fear. In other words, courage is when we do it scared. And and it's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable because taking a step of courage, it puts you in the line of failure or the unknown or surrender or rejection, or it takes you out of your comfort zone and into the realm of maybe I'm going to learn I'm not good enough. It is a terrifying, it's very, very uncomfortable. And like you, I like my comfort and I prefer my comfort. But here's the tension we introduced last week that we have to wrestle with is that courage and comfort, they cannot coexist. Because of the very definition of courage, you cannot take a courageous step in the face of fear and be comfortable at the same time. And we can just decide to stay comfortable. But here's where we miss when we do. We miss what God has on the other side of a courageous step. We miss what he might have for you or for others or even for the kingdom that Jesus came to establish, because while it is far, far easier to remain comfortable, we rarely assess the cost of our comfort. We're really good at assessing the risk of taking a courageous step. Okay, if I do this, here's what might happen, and that's scary. But we rarely count the cost of staying comfortable. And we kind of introduced this question last week that we're wrestling with. What if your comfort is costing you more than you should be comfortable with. What if your comfort is costing others? It's costing your marriage. It's costing your relationship. It's costing your growth personally. It's costing your influence more than you should be comfortable with. And so today about discovering and the series about discovering what God has on the other side of being uncomfortable and taking a courageous step. And today, especially today's conversation, the cost of your comfort in mine is astronomically high. Because today we wrestle with the idea of how to courageously live in the light rather than hiding any part of ourselves in the dark. Because when there is something to hide, the human default is to hide. Hiding in our context, hiding in the dark for today means looks like concealing. Hiding in the dark looks like concealing. In the words of the royal Elsa of Arendelle from Frozen, Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know, right? Like, yeah, y'all didn't think I could sing, did you? Huh? How about that? Yeah. You didn't think I had it in you, in me. I didn't either. I, I don't, I can't sing. Don't stand next to me during worship. Okay, um, hiding in the dark looks like concealing. Like just conceal it, hide it, don't let them know. We are so good as humans is not, at not letting anybody know that we're struggling. 
not letting anybody know what's really going on. Like we're really good at not letting them know that things are not as good as they appear, conceal. Like not letting them into how the marriage is really going. Not letting them know the burden we're really carrying. Not letting them know that struggle or that habit or that secret sin. Come on, talk about courage. It is way safer to not let anybody in. Because vulnerability, and you don't need me to tell you this, vulnerability is terrifying. Brene Brown is a, an author and researcher that, that I love reading, has influenced me so much. She, she made this observation in one of her earliest books. It might have been her first book called The Gifts of Imperfection. And, and I read this a number of years ago, and I've, just, I've never forgotten this insight. I found this to be so powerful. Brene Brown wrote this. She said, the root of courage, the actual word, is core the Latin word for heart. In one of its earliest forms, the word courage had a very different definition than it does today. Courage, she observes, originally meant to speak one's mind by telling all of one's heart. The original definition of courage meant letting other people in. The original definition of courage meant opening yourselves up to other people. The original definition of courage meant giving access to the unfiltered you, giving people access to the non-curated you, giving people access to the real you. The original definition of courage meant to allow people to get scary close. You know when you go to a hotel and they got those mirrors, one side is like normal, then you flip it and it's like 25 times magnified and the blackheads on your nose look like moon craters. You know what I'm talking about? That's what I think about when I think about letting somebody get scary close. It's uncomfortable. It's terrifying. In fact, it is one of the scariest steps of courage that you or I could ever take. In fact, what I find so insightful about Brene Brown's observation is there might not be many things scarier in the human experience than allowing yourself and myself to be fully known. So <clears throat> hiding in the dark looks like concealing. That's our default. What's the alternative? What does courageously living in the light look like and mean for us saying, what do I wanna wrestle with for a few minutes? Living in the light looks like confessing. Now, <clears throat> immediately, I know that word depending on your religious background, could come loaded with baggage, loaded with some type of connotation, probably negative or some preconceived notion around what confessing and confession is. I want you to suspend all of that because I wanna talk about it in a way that is not about religion or some kind of like checkbox to get right with God. I wanna talk about it in a way that I believe it was intended to be practiced, and it has everything to do with relationship. So I wanna put some different words around it, okay? Here's what I mean by confessing. Bringing to the light what grows stronger in the dark. Bringing to the light what grows stronger in the dark. This is not a religious idea. This is a deeply relational and transformative idea. Bringing to the light that which grows stronger in the dark. Being honest and open and transparent, living in the light, letting people get scary close. And this is scary. You don't even need me to spell out why we don't do this by default. I mean, the thoughts are probably running rampant. Like it, it, it might be embarrassing. What if I embarrass myself? 
What if I look weak? What if they think less of me? What if they lose respect? What if, what if they reject me and they won't say it out loud, but things just change in the way that they see me? What if they love me less? What, 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 what if we tell them and they talk about it on the way home? What, do I really need to? I, well, what if I can just fix this on my own? Do I really need to? It's not that big of a deal. Those fears those fears that we have, in a lot of ways, valid. But back to our question, what if your comfort to hide any part of what's in here in the dark is costing you more than you should be comfortable with? Because look, can we just lean in for a second? What if that sin that you're hiding is gonna threaten to wreak havoc on your life in a way that maybe you can't even see yet? What if that struggle that you're just trying to white knuckle is going to erode your conscience to such a degree that eventually you become comfortable with things that you never thought you would do or be comfortable with? Because you hit it in the dark. What if that habit that doesn't seem like a big deal ruins your marriage? Come on. What if the unforgiveness in your heart hardens your heart beyond recognition? What if this propensity that you have to get ahead, no matter what it costs you, seems like it's hurting nobody, but what if one day it eventually costs you your job? What if there's a self-righteousness brewing that is kind of disguised as some kind of Christianity, eventually hardens your heart to an inability to love people as Jesus loves people, and it changes the way you see anybody that doesn't agree with you? What if you can't fix it on your own? And what if it is a bigger deal than you think? What if hiding in the dark is gonna cost you and me way more than we should be comfortable with? And some of you know from experience, it absolutely will cost you more than you should be comfortable with. And just like in my freezer, that freezer. <clears throat> I wonder if it still works. Just, just like unhealthy things grow in the dark in that freezer. And some unhealthy things that grow in us as well. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but here are just three. Loneliness grows in the dark because darkness, it disconnects you from others. It, it, it shuts everyone else out. You just kind of act like everything's okay. It's part of hiding in the darkness. And what you end up doing, what I end up doing, is we cut out community and people that can love us, encourage us, challenge us, and carry that burden with us and speak the truth in love. Disconnects you. Loneliness grows. Low self-esteem grows in the dark because the darkness disorients you. You know what it's like. You're in the dark and you can never find what you're looking for. You don't know what's up from down, what's left from right until your eyes adjust. It's disorienting. That you and I, the longer we hide something in the dark, it changes the way that you see yourself. You start seeing yourself as a lot less than even what God sees in you. You start seeing a lot less potential in your future than what God sees in you. You start to think it's too far, it's too, I'm too far gone. Um, and you adopt a really, really low view of yourself. And eventually you hide in the dark long enough and shame grows in the dark because the darkness 
deceives you. Shame, the root of isolation and the disorientation and the deception and the disconnection. Because what shame is, shame is that voice in your head and in mine that starts to tell us, you are your biggest mistake. You are your biggest struggle. You are defined by that thing in your past. You are defined by that thing that you do. And there is no escaping it. And here's what I've learned about shame. It lifts weights and it gets stronger in the dark. And for whatever reason, its voice echoes louder in the dark. Because we're human and because our default is to hide the little things, the medium things, and the big things. We've all experienced the disconnecting, deceiving, and disorienting nature of the darkness. And here's what you know. It's not really living It is burdensome. It is heavy. It is not fulfilling. And it's certainly not freedom. And I'm just telling you, one of the most detrimental things that ever happened to you or to me, the most detrimental thing that happened to your heart, to your soul, to your mind, to your marriage, to your relationships, the most detrimental thing that happened to your personal growth, to your relationships and to your friendships, is to keep yourself at a distance from the real community that you and I were created for. To stay clear of the transformative nature of the authentic relationships that God put in place to grow us, to challenge us, to love us, and to change us. Taking a step of courage to let people in and to be known, to live in the light, I'm just telling you, It'll be one of the scariest steps of courage that you'll ever take. But it'll be one of the most important things that you ever do because of what's at stake. Living in the light will be one of the scariest steps of courage that you will ever take. But because of Jesus and because of the gospel, it is also one of the safest steps of courage you could ever take. And I wanna show you what I mean. So confession, okay? Bringing to light that which grows stronger in the dark. It's a two-step process, okay? This is the opposite of Ikea. Two-step process here. I'm telling you about the first step and it's the foundation. The first step is the foundation to the second step. And the first step, the first step is you and I taking it to God. The first step is bringing to light what we're hiding in the dark to God. And it is on that foundation that we'll get to step two, but let's start with step number one. Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, the writer of Hebrews, he he writes this, he's writing about God's knowledge and he says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Two extreme words, nothing in all of creation is hidden and everything is laid bare before him. You ever had a a little kid try to like hide something from you? And it's like, that's adorable. I can see that behind your back. You know what I mean? Depending on your view of God, if you're at the very least a follower of Jesus and you have a high enough view of God, it's a silly thing to think that we can hide anything from him. One of the paradoxes of living or the ironic things about hiding in the dark is that God knows it all. There's nothing we can hide from him. And everything is laid bare before him and one day we'll give an account. Like he already knows it all. Okay, it's all already out there technically. 
So then the writer of Hebrews goes on, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Now in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is referred as the, our great high priest in the Old Testament. The high priest um, played an important role um, for the people of Israel. And he would almost be like the go-between between God and the people of Israel. You know, whether it be the, the sacrificing um, you know, of animals for their, their sins. He was kind of like their mediator. He was able to enter into the holiest places in the temple that an ordinary person couldn't go to. And so what the, one of the big things that the book of Hebrews sets up is, hey, all of that is gone because Jesus, Jesus is our new high priest. He's our new mediator. He came down, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave and he made a way for us to live in relationship with our heavenly father. And it has nothing to do with establishing some kind of religion. He came to do all that he did so he could establish a relationship. So because we have a great high priest in Jesus who ascended him, he's done all of that for us. Hold on to the faith that you profess. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you. For, he goes on, We do not have a high priest in Jesus who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one, this is so beautiful, who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus came and he took on flesh. He was tempted in every way just like we are tempted. He didn't sin, but here's kind of the point. Jesus gets us. Like he literally gets us. He's not some disconnected celestial being unable to empathize with us lowly humans. He brought himself down to be able to empathize with our weakness. In other words, Jesus is not out of touch with our reality. No, 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 he's very deeply connected to our reality. And he knows our weakness. He knows we're not perfect. He knows we can't be. He knows that isn't the goal. He, he knows we're never gonna reach there. He knows we're gonna mess up. And he knows our default is gonna be to hide in the dark. So, because of what he's done in the way that he has made, this, this, next, this next line is so poignant. It's so powerful. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Because he's able to empathize with our weakness. Verse 16. So then, As a response, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Translation, because Jesus, our great high priest, has done all that he has done and made a way, we can walk up confidently to his throne and receive everything he's willing to give, every bit of mercy and every bit of grace, that we can bring anything that we're hiding in the dark, knowing that God's response is always mercy and grace. And this is such a beautiful picture. You think of a throne, the throne of God, big and powerful, a sign of power. You can't approach it unless you're summoned, but here a throne of grace, a place of approachability, a place of safety. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Jesus done and who he is. And we can be confident. We can bring it confidently. We can confess it confidently to God. Why? Because Jesus came to establish a relationship, not some kind of religion. Did you, growing up, did you have maybe a friend 
and you got really, really close to their family to where like, you didn't even have to knock anymore. You just kind of could walk right in. You're just a part of the family. You'd go on vacation with them. Like it was so comfortable. Like you could just walk in and get something out of the pantry and it wasn't weird. Like it was just, you're part of the family. Or maybe like you, like one of your kids has a friend like that and it doesn't bother you at all. Like it's not out of entitlement. Like this friend has the garage code. I mean, they just, they know where the Doritos are, right? They have the Wi-Fi password. It's just, it's just normal. It's comfortable. There's enough relationship built up where they can just walk in confidently. I've got multiple friends growing up there. That's just kind of the case. Like they'd get to my parents' house before I was just hanging out with my mom and dad. I'm like, okay, this is weird. But it, but it wasn't, it's just, there was that kind of confidence in relationships so you could approach it, not in a weird way, not knocking, hoping somebody will answer. It was just comfortable. There was confidence in the relationship in the same way we can approach God's throne of grace with that kind of confidence because of relationship. That Jesus isn't out to get us. Jesus isn't out to get us to check some kind of boxes of religiosity. Jesus came to establish a relationship to meet us in our greatest need. Knowing our weakness, knowing our shortcomings, knowing we're gonna fall short, he's there to give us mercy and grace. And maybe, maybe you're thinking, okay, God already knows it all. Why do I have to confess it? I'm glad you asked. Here's why. Like when I say we need to, step one, is verbalizing what we're hiding in the dark to God, like literally saying it. You know this. There's something powerful about verbalizing things. In fact, remember they say you're like one and a half times more likely to achieve a goal if you like write it down or verbalize it, like get it out. I don't know the science behind that, but there is something powerful about verbalizing what you've been hiding in the dark, forcing yourself, to come to terms with it. There's actually a humility when you verbalize the the bitterness or the jealousy or the pride or whatever that sin or habit and verbalizing it and confessing it to God, even though he knows it. But in that humility, it also releases the joy of forgiveness when you are reminded of that his response is always mercy and grace. Step one of living in the light is confessing it to God. And it is out of that safety. It is out of that confidence that we can build on step number two, which is a lot scarier. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this in James chapter five, verse 16. Therefore, what was, why is the therefore there? He's talking about avoiding and combating discouragement and downfall. Therefore, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Hey, confess to God. We're gonna confess to God so we can be forgiven, be reminded that his grace has already forgiven us. But James tells us, James tells us there is a healing and a renewal that is only a result of confessing our sins to each other and then understanding how we can pray and fight for each other. That James tells us there is a healing, there is a freedom, there is a growth, there is a maturity, there is victory that only happens by living in the light and letting other people in. Don't miss this. In the way of Jesus, you and I cannot separate maturity 
and growth and health. We can't separate that from transformative community where we are humble, open, and transparent with another. It's impossible. And when you and I bring to the light that which goes stronger in the dark, it begins to lose its power and the grip gets lighter. And by courageously living in the light, again, the big stuff, the medium stuff, the little stuff, by courageously living in the light, our burdens get lighter because there are other people helping us carrying them. Our burdens get lighter because there are people praying for us. Our burdens get lighter because we know we've got people in our corner on the good days and especially on the bad days. Courageously living in the light is when iron can really sharpen iron. That another person can really help sharpen and shape you and vice versa. Courageously living in the light is when your struggles and mine can be met with compassion and accountability. Courageously living in the light is when lies can be replaced with the truth. Because here's been my experience. Sometimes you're not going to believe it until somebody in the flesh that you know and trust tells it to you. Courageously living in the light is when the healthiest, most Jesus-reflective self becomes possible. Courageously living in the light is how we save ourselves from ourselves. Step one is the foundation for the safety that makes step two possible. Confess to God and confess to each other so that you may be healed, restored, reconciled. So I know you're all dying to know how to practice this, okay? I wanna tell you how. I'm gonna give you kind of four things, okay? I wanna tell you the, the who, the, 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 the when, the how, and the why, okay? So the, the who, who is it that you need to confess I want you to find a safe person. This is really important. I'm not asking you to go to emotionally vomit on Facebook. I'm not <laughs> held liable for a wrong post. That's not what this is, okay? I want you to find a safe person, okay? Um, Robin Dunbar is this British anthropologist that's done so much study in the power of friendships and relationships, and he's developed what is known as Dunbar's number, okay? And he's found through brains, it's actually really fascinating that really the human capacity for friends is 150, okay? Some of you guys are overwhelmed by that. You're like, yeah, no, I don't have that many friends. Some of you are offended by that number, you know? Don't limit me, okay? <laughs> but that's not the point, okay? Okay. Um, the 150 is insignificant in this moment. Here's what I want you to know. Um, this is not for everyone. And more than likely, your safe person lives in the categories that Dunbar has classified as close friends and best friends, okay? This is not for everybody. This is the five, and this number 15 includes the five. So it's not 20. My point is this is a small group of people 
This is somewhere from five to 15. This is people that maybe you do life with on a regular basis. This might be people that you've developed a safe relation with in your small group. This might be people that you've grown up with. This might be somebody that you don't see regularly, but you've done enough life together. You stay connected via text and phone calls. Maybe they live somebody different. Um, And whenever you get together, you kind of pick up where you left off. Like it might be that person, but it is a small group of people. And here's what I want you to know with this idea of confessing and living in the light. Not everyone needs to know everything. That's unhealthy. But someone needs to know everything. So who is that safe person? And for some of you, for some of you, you're like, I, I get that. I don't, I don't know that I have a safe person. Here's what I, I, I tell students this, and I think this is the same for us, that if you don't know who those people are, you need to find them. Run to the right places and you're likely to run into the right people. Run to the right places and you're likely to run into the right people. And so if you're running to a church or you find yourself in a church, maybe an opportunity might open up. The next time you can join a small group, run to that right place. Put yourself in the path of potentially life-changing, safe relationships that ultimately need to be cultivated. Find a safe person. And if you're cultivating it, it might get clunky at first, but find a safe person. And for some of you, you have these friendships. You have these friendships and it's time to start leveraging them for all that they can be in your life, in the life of the other person. So find a safe person, somebody you can trust, somebody that believes in you and somebody that wants what's best for you. And then kind of coupled with that, my responsibility and yours is on the other side of the equation as well to be a safe person, to be a safe person for somebody else, to be a safe person that somebody can trust, to be a safe person where somebody knows they are loved, where somebody knows they're going to be held accountable, gonna be encouraged, and they are not a project, but they are a person to be loved. And when we find safe people and are safe people, we start this like cycle where we can begin leveraging life-changing relationships and community in a way that God designed them to function in our lives. And they can be truly transformative for you and for me. So find a safe person and be a safe person. The who, now the how. I don't have a, just, I'm gonna keep it real simple. The first, I want you to be specific with the confession. Be specific with living in the light. This is really important. This is like the last 10%. There's a big difference between saying something like, I think I'm struggling with anger versus, hey, I lashed out at my wife again and said some things that were very hurtful. Here's what I said. It's very, very different to say, hey, I'm struggling with lustful thoughts versus the last 10%. I'm getting too comfortable with one of my coworkers. Be specific Let people in so they can know the questions to ask. They can know how to follow up, how to pray. And again, when you verbalize what's in the dark, step one to bringing it into the light so that it starts losing its power. Being specific with confession is scary, but it will accelerate change. Be specific. And then coupled with that is this. I want you to include the motive. Maybe it's identify the motive. Like, don't just skate by it. This isn't just to get something off your chest. This is to to experience real change, transformation, and growth that our closest relationships help make possible. So include the motive. 
Like paying attention to why you do something is sometimes more important than the what that you did. Because you know this, oftentimes the what, the struggle, the sin, the pride, the bitterness, the whatever it is that's in here, it's smoke. And down below is a volcano of magma and lava. Get to the why. What's motivating that thought? What's motivating that behavior? What's motivating that pattern? Be specific and include the motive, okay? The win, the win, like W-H-E-N, not the I-N, win, the win. Make it a habit. Win regularly. Make it a habit. Like, again, I just wanna be very, this isn't just like this big stuff. So I'm like, I don't have anything big that I'm hiding. It's not about the big stuff that you're hiding. It's about when you mess up next week and you didn't, you've already, you've messed up again and it's just like, okay, I'm gonna make it a habit. The big, medium, and seemingly insignificant small stuff. I'm gonna make it a habit to live in the light. I'm gonna make it a habit to live in the light with the small stuff to make sure they never become big stuff. And what I love about this idea of making it a habit, it's timely, right? It's not like, oh, hey, I need to tell you about something that happened four months ago. Hey, I need to tell you something that happened yesterday. You were developing a habit of living in the light. Here's kind of a word picture I had in my head as I was writing this message. I don't, maybe it'll be helpful to you. It spoke to me. Um, this isn't spring cleaning. This is like, I've got trash pickup that comes once a week. Regular, big, small, medium. Me and I have a couple of friends that I do this with, like literally, like one of my friends, we literally use this language. Live in the light. And we kind of try to do like this once a month, like Zoom accountability situation. And he lives in a different state and it doesn't really always work out. We get busy, this happens, whatever. And we would just miss too many months. So we just decided, you know what? Forget it. If we're gonna live in the light, just pick up the phone whenever you need to pick up the phone. Let's make it timely. So that's literally what we'll do. I'm not kidding. If you tap my phone, you'd probably quit this church. Um, But (laughs) pick up the phone and say, hey, listen, uh, need to live in the light, live in the light. All right, I'm ready. And then boom, right there. Hey, this week. Hey, hey, this time with Julie. Hey, I had this pride. Hey, I did, hey, I'm sensing that. All right, live in the light, live in light. Make it a habit. Then it's the next phone call. It's a follow-up. It's a challenge. It's a text. It's a checking in on. Make it a habit. Coupled with that, maybe for some of you, here's what it's gonna require for you to go first. Here's what I've learned. Vulnerability begets vulnerability. Out of your vulnerability might be born vulnerability. And if you go first, I'm fairly certain you won't be last. And then lastly, why? I want you to remember your why. Maybe you identify your, your why. Maybe you write down your why. And this is so personal for all of us. Like my why, you know why I want to live in the light do you know why I, I, I work through the discomfort? Even now, I've got these safe relationships, but it's still scary. Because of my marriage. Because my wife, Julie, means too much to me. Because I love my kids. Because I love my job. Because I care about my soul, my influence, and my friendships. Because I know And even when I forget, come on, the life I really want is not the product of hiding in the dark. In fact, all of what I want is at stake when I hide any part of me in the dark. And none of that, none of that for you or for me is worth the cost of 
our comfort. And then, coupled with that, remember God's grace. The grace that you've been given and the grace we as followers of Jesus are called to extend. Grace that is safe. And in the safety of grace, truth is truly transformative. You couple your why with the overwhelming grace of God that defines safe community, you'll never hide in the dark. You will be sprinting to the light. And if I could just for a moment lean in, just because I'm a guy. Everybody needs us, but fellas, we are so good at making every excuse why this doesn't need to be us. Too much pride. Don't want to look a certain way. Don't make any excuses. It's not worth it. I saw this, close with this, I, I saw this Instagram post a number of years ago. I try not to get too much parenting advice from Instagram because it's like, you, you know, whatever. But I saw this post, it was so powerful. It was this daughter who wrote about something that her, her dad did. And, and she wrote, it was, it was like, hey, um, that my dad he put this note in my dresser drawer so I could see it every morning. And she wrote out what the note said. And the note said something along the lines of this. Her dad wrote this note and he wrote, hey, if you're ever scared to tell me something, just bring me this note as a reminder that I'm here to support you. I won't get mad. I will work with you on a solution. And then she followed up with the best way to keep your kids talking to you. I thought, one, I'm gonna steal that, okay? I'm, I'm gonna put sticky notes everywhere in my kids' rooms, you know? It's that kind of safety that the cross reminds us of. The cross and the grace of Jesus is your note that we can confidently confess A to God and then out of that safety, out of that safety where we know we are forgiven, where we know there is grace, we can confidently confess to each other. Be a safe person, find a safe person. And that cycle is transformative and develops the kind of community that you and I were created for. Live in the light. Because light, light is where freedom is. Living in the light is where grace and love and hope and truth is. Living in the light is where health and change and life is. Living in the light is where reconciliation is and where restoration is, even in the most extreme of circumstances. Living in the light is where relationship trumps religion. And living in the light, no matter how scary it is, because it will be, but living in the light is where we make room for the type of transformational community that meets the transformational power of Jesus and your life and mine are never the same. So let's take courage and let's step towards the light. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. 
And thank you for the gospel that is safe. And Heavenly Father, this is a hard teaching. This is a hard thing to do. This is a hard thing to try. But may you give us the courage. May you compel us with the importance of living in the light. Believing that your best for us is on the other side, not of hiding any part of ourselves in the dark, but stepping into the light before you and before the safe people that you've put around us. I pray that you would cultivate in us the courage to take this step. And may we be better for it. We love you and we trust you. And maybe today we commit to making that kind of room. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.